And if you find there, uh, would you please uh, stand there in the honor of reading God's word. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the Lord of, word of the Lord. Let's ask God for his mercy this morning. Father, thank you for your word that we do not deserve. I ask that you would give us mercy, kindness this morning as I talk about how mighty you are and what that means for us. Amen. So we are in a season of Advent, as you may know, uh, right after Thanksgiving. We, we spend the next few weeks leading up to Christmas talking about why Jesus came who he is, and what does that mean for us today. And you might find it odd. So why would I come here to Colossians chapter 1? Because my task here this morning, as much time as I do have, I want to, to get away from a mindset of trying where we start culturally talking about Christmas. Because um, how our culture, what our culture says about Christmas does give us how, how we practice our tradition here. So how does our culture uh, start with this? Um, one of the big things our culture does is have holiday movies. like Companies like Hallmark, Netflix, Disney, Freeform, uh, the Great American Channel, all make a fortune. And when I say a fortune, I mean a hefty fortune from holiday movies. And I'm not here, to, here today to tell you, hey, you shouldn't watch this movie or you should watch this channel over another channel. No, I am definitely not going to open up that uh, bag of worms this morning. Uh, my, I'm just making a, a cultural observation that holiday movies are a big seller in this country. Um, and, and they're good holiday movies. Like they, they focus on fun stuff like uh, maybe the guy or the girl, they come from the big city and they go to the small town, they're trying to find a smaller way of life. The guy gets the girl, the girl gets the guy, or the families reconcile. Um, I'm not a holiday movie person. Um, I'm just... These are very generic terms. I know they're all very different. But those are the kind of gist of things. But when we take a step back for a second and notice how these uh, movies, how they, they are celebrated in such a way and how we think about the Christmas story, they don't start where the Christmas story should start at. See, because if you really sit there and think about it, the Christmas story, maybe in, in our own hearts, in our own lives, it starts in Luke chapter 2 where Jesus is born in Bethlehem, where nobody knows who he is. He's born in a, in a manger, in a stable with animals. And uh, just a few people know he is, just the shepherds and then the angels. And very few people know who Jesus is. See, the Christmas story does not start there. The Christmas story starts with Jesus being mighty God. Because if you do not start there, as we're going to find out in a second, you have nothing to celebrate for Christmas. So I do want to 
I, I know I have a very small amount of time. These five verses right here, volumes have been written upon who Jesus is with these five verses. So there's no way I'm going to be able to address these five verses in a full capacity this morning. But I do want to draw out the most highlighted portions and how this ties into how Jesus' mighty God is focusing upon how we should celebrate Christmas this morning. So the first uh, few verses, Jesus is mighty God over creation in verse 15. Uh, Paul describes Jesus this way. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I want to highlight these two. uh, The image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. Now, these verses have come to some sort of uh, confusion over the years. So when, when Paul is talking about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, he's not talking about, okay, he's a copy of God. Or he's not talking about, oh, he's just... Uh, trying to reflect God as he possibly can. No, when Paul is using this word here, the image of the invisible God, Jesus, if you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. It, it goes to the author of Hebrews to say this about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 uh, through 3. That Jesus is reflecting who God is fully. In the last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir over all things and made the universe through him. Verse 3 right here. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. The exact expression of his nature. So when Paul talks about Jesus being the image of the invisible God. You want to know who God is? Look to Jesus. The firstborn over all creation. The, the second image right there. Again, you might read this as like, so is Jesus a creative being? Is, is he, was he the firstborn created? Well, if you talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses or you talk to uh, someone of the Latter-day Saint uh, perspective, then yes, they would say Jesus was created. And if you're talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, they would say Jesus is an angel and that he, is, he was the first created being and he has power over all the earth. Or if you talk to a Mormon, he would say, no, Jesus was a created being and then he graduated, so to speak, to become a god. But see, this is not what Paul's talking about either. See, because the word firstborn in the Old Testament is used in quite a few different ways. See, without a doubt, firstborn, when it's talking in the Old Testament, could refer to, yes, someone who was born first, naturally. But, see, what Paul is, he's using this in a very poetic sense. See, if you were the firstborn in the culture in the Middle East, you got everything. You were the sole provider of the family. You got the inheritance, you got the authority, all from the Father. So for Jesus here to be the firstborn over creation, he's the image of the invisible God. He reflects God perfectly. You want to know who Jesus is? Look at him. And his inheritance is this creation. He has authority over all things. We'll find that out later in the next verses that come after this. Jesus is the one who has authority over all things. But before we get there, I want to notice, I want to look at these two images real quick. I don't want us to glance over these things. See, just like Jesus is the image of the invisible God, we are also created, not in, we are not, we are not the image of God, we were created in His image. It also talks about in the Psalms that we are the firstborn of creation, but because we were created to have dominion over this creation. See, when Paul is using this language here, talking about Jesus 
reflecting God fully, being God fully, being the one who's in control over all things. These are images that reflect our failure as humans. See, to be, we were created in God's image. What were we created in God's image for? We were created to have dominion over this earth. That's what Genesis 1.26 tells us. We were created in God's likeness to, have, to be fruitful, to multiply, and have dominion over this earth. So for Jesus to come and to be the image of the invisible God, to reflect God's goodness perfectly, that reflects our own failure in life. See, instead of us having dominion over this world, you can definitely tell we did not bring dominion. We brought chaos. Look at this world around us. We don't have control over this world. When we touch it, we bring chaos. You want to know why Jesus had to come? He came to fix the chaos that was before us. This brings us to our utter failure as image bearers of God. But this also gives us great pleasure and great joy. Go to verse 16. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. What an audacious statement that is. See, we, we look at this passage to an extent, and we, we look at it through our, our Western American eyes, and, that, and our elected officials. Now, we, if we don't like an elected official, we'll complain about them we'll, we'll, on social media. The newscast will do miles longs of exposition how this guy is horrible, and then in four years we've got we to vote him out. And so we, we view rulers and authorities that way because we have a self-type of government in this country. If we don't like somebody, don't worry, give it four years, we'll, he'll be replaced by somebody else, and on down the line it is. But when Paul is writing this, that is not the case. When Paul is writing this, when, and for him to say Jesus is Lord, Kyrios, he is talking, that is the word used for the emperor of Rome. And for Paul to say that, that the thrones and the dominions, the rulers and authorities, all that is placed upon Jesus' authority, think of how, how audacious that is. Yeah, we can say that Jesus is ruler over our country, but can, do we see that in the fact that we say that Jesus is ruler over Russia? Over Kim Jong-un in North Korea? Over Xi Jinping in China? Over the Middle Eastern countries? Can we say, do, do we firmly believe that Jesus is Lord even there? Over the physical, but also the spiritual realm. Both physical and spiritual. Can we say that Jesus is Lord there? Do you believe it? Do you trust Him? That He is Lord over all things? Because what else that means for you? Does mean Jesus is Lord over your life? Whatever position of authority God has given you. Wherever he's placed you at, whether it be some, uh, something elected or something not elected, whether you're a parent or a child, whether you're a student, a teacher, a manager, a boss, 
a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse, a representative. Jesus is Lord over you. But not only is He Lord over all things, what does it say in verse 18? And all things are subject to Him. All things are held together by Him. All things are held together by Him. Not only is He ruler over all things, not only is, every, not only is everyone subject to His Lordship, but without Him, this world would cease to exist. I have no time whatsoever to think about the ramifications of what that means this morning. But I want you to really sit here and think about that for a second. That Jesus has created, that He's created the world in such a way that everything is held together by His power. Paul wants you to understand here, if you haven't caught on here yet, that Jesus is reign supreme over the cosmos here. Not just one particular area, but nothing would exist without for him. It goes, it's inspired people like Abraham Kuyper, who is an old Dutch theologian, to say there's not one square inch in this cosmos to say that Jesus is Lord over all. Let's take a step back here for a second. You might have answered, I might ask a question this morning. Well, if Jesus is really Lord over all things, then why is there so much suffering in this world? Why do you see so much evil and calamity? You might ask questions like, I mean, if, if Jesus is really Lord over all things, He holds everything by the word of His power, why would He have people who hate Him rule over nations? Already allow people like dictators to oppress people. Why would God allow abortion and infanticide and suicides to occur? Maybe why would God allow people to die before our tradition a lot of times have said so? Why would God allow people who are 30 and 40 year olds to die unexpectedly? Where is God's control in that? You're asking that question this morning. I'm glad you're here. I I really am. I I feel your heartache. I ask those questions myself. I catch myself asking those questions time and time again. And you are in good company. I want you to feel like this is a safe place to ask that question. This is a good place to ask that question. And also I'd say that these next verses here, I hope begin to answer that question. What's considered the problem of evil? I, want, I hope these next verses here begin to answer some of life's mysteries here. See, because not only is Jesus Lord over this creation that's here presently, and He holds everything up to His power, we find also that Jesus is Lord over the new creation. Read on in, in the next verse here. That Jesus is Head of the church. Verse 19, or sorry, verse 18. Jesus is head of the body of the church. Now, Paul is not talking about here that Jesus is head over this building here. If you were to leave service today 
and you would you would say you drive back at the end of the week and you see that this building does not exist anymore, that somebody burned it to the ground and bulldozed it over and put a mall here instead. You can't say that Bethany Baptist Church does not exist anymore. No. See, this church is a really nice building. But the church is the people inside of it. So when Jesus says, when Paul says that Jesus is the head of the body, the head of the church here, he is talking about the people, the ones who are following him. Regardless of your role here today, Jesus is Lord over that. If you are a pastor, if you are a minister, if you are a deacon, if you are a member, Jesus is the one who sets the parameters of what it means for the church to exist. And how does, how does He do that? He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, I said before, like, if you had these questions about why God allows evil to exist, this verse right here is hope for you. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Do not miss the irony in this statement here. Don't miss the irony in this statement. Firstborn from the dead? That makes no sense. Read throughout the rest of Scripture. Where, does pe- where do people are raised from the dead? Do they stay alive? No. They die again. Even the ones that Jesus rose from the dead, where do they go? They go back to the grave later on. Even when Jesus died on the cross and Matthew records the accounts of many graves opened up and people walked again, came back to life, they all still died again. Jesus is the only one who is firstborn from the dead. He is erring in a new creation. He is there through, through salvation. We can share in His resurrection. Don't overlook the hope that's in that, that verse right there. He is the firstborn from the dead so that He might come to have first place in all things. Revelation 1.5 says it this way, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus being the resurrected King proves His authority over all things as well. The resurrection of Jesus has dawned an era where Jesus will become first place in all things. And it leads the Apostle Paul to say this in 1 Corinthians 15, Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Jesus has wiped away death from our eyes. The promise of eternal life is in Christ Himself. So He is not only the One who is the agent over creation itself, He is also the agent of recreation, of the new creation to come. Because He is also the One who reconciles all things to Himself in verse 20. Jesus is the One who will reconcile all things in heaven and on earth to Himself. You want to know how Jesus is going to answer our questions of why we see rulers and authorities, dominions, oppressing people, why we see death and destruction and mayhem all around us? It's because Jesus is King over the earth and He will reconcile all things to Himself. See, we as church, we get to share in this mission that God is doing. 
that we get to share in what God is doing, that he is reconciling all things to himself. This is the mission of the church. We are to share in his mission. We are to work alongside him in reconciling people back to him. But don't, don't miss the other ironic statement. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He is reconciling people by peace and not by force. Don't forget the irony of this statement. That, that, that this is, peace is not going to come by Thanos snapping his finger and half the population is going to disappear and peace will magically appear. No. Jesus brings peace by His own sacrifice on the cross. Peace coming through a sacrificial death of Christ will bring about the peace that the angels talked about in Luke chapter 2. Where that Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth on whom the favor rests upon. But this also reminds us that we contribute nothing to our salvation. Like I, like I said before, that God has called us, we, we, we reflect His image. And we are to have as our inheritance is earth and have dominion over it. But we brought about chaos. And in so much so, we can't even save our own selves from our own chaos. We would rather have other powers and authorities have dominion over our life instead of having Jesus as power over our life. We contribute nothing to our salvation. Jesus is the one who must reconcile us to Himself. The problem of evil is answered in Christ. His reconciliation of all things is why Paul can say that Jesus is Lord. So, why must this be central? Why, why must this be central to the Christmas story? See, without this, without Jesus being mighty God, first of all, He can never be the humble servant who took upon flesh. He wouldn't have the right, nor would He have the ability to. And also, He could never become mighty God because He could never save us. Without a mighty God, we have no reason to celebrate Christmas. We would still be dead in our sins. The tradition of Christmas would never have spread the way it has. There would be no peace for us to cling to. We would watch these holiday movies and we see the ending happen and you know whether like peace happens or reconciliation happens in these movies, families get together Two people meet each other, they fall in love, and they get married, or they end up, or they start dating. Whatever these holiday movies happen, we would look at that and say, "Why would I celebrate that?" That's but a bare, mere momentary peace. If Jesus is not mighty God, that is momentary peace, and it means nothing. Because Paul would even go so, so far to say, if Jesus was never resurrected, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. We will die anyways. There would be nothing for us to cling to. We would be no different than people who grow up in our culture and our context today who celebrate Christmas without a Christian tradition to back it up. People like Richard Dawkins, uh, the famous evolutionary biologist, pronounced atheist, even calls himself a cultural Christian because he understands the ramifications that he can culturally celebrate Christmas even though he doesn't believe in a mighty God. 
because he understands that there is tradition in this context, in this culture, in this country where people celebrate Christmas, but they don't have to celebrate the mighty God that comes with it. They celebrate a meaningless holiday. So I ask you this question. Is, is this you? Christmas, the holiday you celebrate? Is it a holiday you celebrate because maybe your, your family celebrates it, but you really have no background or, or type of understanding what the holiday is about? Maybe it's just gifts and consumerism to you. Or maybe it's just reflecting upon your way of life without even reflecting upon what, who God is or what He's done for us. Maybe that's what brought you here this morning. Maybe, maybe in your own type of practices that it was Christmas time, I need to go to service this morning. In that case, I'm glad you're here. I, I want you to be here. And I'm happy to tell you about who this mighty God is. Or maybe you're maybe a believer who wants to know more about why we celebrate Christmas. Maybe you're, you're a parent and you have been thinking about what we talked about a couple weeks ago, how we are to pass on our faith to the next generation. You want to know more about how to do that. I would like to give you this book right here. This book is called The Promised One. This book is put out by Christianity Today. And they go through from day starting today through now until Christmas, there's a little devotional you can go with. And it will tell you about who Jesus is as the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the one who gives hope from now until Christmas. And these will be on the foyer right here, or out there, or they'll be right here. Please take one, please take two, please take three. We literally have many copies. And we can print off more we want, so we want these to be a blessing to you. Maybe you're here today and you've heard the words of the Lord speak to you. And you realize that Jesus is Lord over all things, but you're not submitting to His Lordship. That's, that's what repentance and faith in, in Jesus is. We are, in fact, we are submitting to Him. Because God is a mighty God. But He's also very merciful. He's so merciful in the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And He has called us to submit to His Lordship, but it's not a lordship he doesn't deserve. No, he's calling us into his kingdom of light when we are in fact members of kingdoms of darkness. I call you this morning to repent of your sins. To submit to his lordship. To have faith in him to save you this morning. This is what God has called us to do. As you reflect upon these verses throughout the rest of the day, I didn't even scratch the surface of what these verses entail. But I hope I got your mind thinking about how am I not letting Jesus be Lord in my life. As we move into a time of invitation, I'll ask anybody who would want to come forward and to ask what it's more about to be one who submits to the Lordship of Christ. Please come forward. I'd love to talk with you more. Let's pray. Father, You are gracious to us. You are Lord over all things. We don't deserve it. But You have given Yourself freely to us.
so that we might have salvation in you. Father, I ask that um, people think about what's been spoken this morning about your Lordship, that they would remember that you are also, you're a mighty God, but you are also a loving God. That in all things, you're reconciling things to yourself, and that we have hope in you.